morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Trent. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. Thanks for being with us, and uh, thanks for praying and being a part of uh, what we're doing here. Normally at this time, we release kids to jam, but because it's first Sunday, we're celebrating communion. We try to balance um, with kids' ministry. We try to balance uh, an environment where they can connect with the truth with an environment where they need training, and so this is uh, uh, kind of how, how that works for us. We will celebrate communion here. Uh, shortly as, as uh, we wrap the sermon up. Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. So I invite you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one of those. Uh, if you need to borrow one, you can borrow it. If you need a Bible that you can read and understand, feel free to take one of those with you. It is our gift to you. That's not a problem for us. Uh, <clears throat> We are uh, um, going to venture through uh, the latter part of Acts chapter 3, and we're going to find Peter once again preaching another sermon. And so before we get to the text itself, I just want to kind of catch us up to speed here a little bit, bring us back from the start to, to where we're going. So Acts chapter 1, Jesus has come back from the dead. He's appeared to his uh, followers. Uh, he's teaching them about life post-resurrection, and he's uh, engaging them, and he, and he says to them, hey, listen, the kingdom is a reality. You guys need to get on board with that. And they're like, we're starting to get this. Uh, and then he says, so go to Jerusalem and wait. And uh, when you do that, you need to go and you need to wait. So they head back to Jerusalem. Uh, they uh, check in at Starbucks, drink their coffee. Uh, that's not what they do. They gather in a room and they pray, and they pray for about 10 days where they're saying, God, know everything about everything, but you said to wait, and so we're waiting until the Holy Spirit comes. So the Holy Spirit comes, rushing wind from heaven, tongues of fire, miraculous intervention of God. They begin speaking the things of God and the works of God to the people around, and uh, 3,000 people eventually become followers of Jesus. Uh, they, there was a little bit of a confusion where they said, hey, look, uh, we're not sure what's going on here. Peter says, I'll tell you what's going on. God said it. He's doing it. This is awesome. And 3,000 people uh, became followers of Jesus. Then they begin to live out um, in, in, um, in intimate and connected relationships um, and uh, with a sharing of, of, of their resources and all these other things, they begin to live out this new thing called church. That's when the church was born. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are headed up to the temple to pray, uh, to be a part of uh, kind of all that they had known. They're going up to pray, and uh, um, they see a guy uh, laying on the, just right outside the gate, and they cause a traffic jam because they stop, and everybody's like, poof, 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 poof. they stack it up behind them. And they're like, hey, man, I see you begging here. We don't have silver and gold. This is not really who we are, um, but what we do have, we give to you. And that is in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. Guy jumps up like a gazelle and starts walking around, leaping, it says, uh, and praising God. And so he figured out his, his legs started working. He just started using them as much as possible. So that, that's kind of how that went. And then um, here we are in, in Acts chapter 3. We're going to pick up at this part. So uh, if you will, in verse 11, um, while he, the guy who got healed, uh, while he clung to Peter and John, I don't know exactly what that looked like. I'm in my mind. I kind of paint the picture of that guy like jumping up on their shoulders, like a football celebration or something. I don't know how that actually went. But uh, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, saying, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made this guy walk? And so just 
picture what's going on here. Uh, this guy is following Peter and John. They've gone to temple to pray. They're coming back out. And all the people are like, dude, we've seen that guy. He was laid up just like minutes ago. Now he's jumping around, jumping around, jumping around like he's in a mosh pit. What do we need to figure out what's going on? Let's go see these guys who made this guy walk. So they crowd in at Solomon's porch kind of area, this area kind of on the outside of the temple. And they're still like, man, tell us what's going on. Peter and John take it as an opportunity um, to say, um, hey, let's not, let's not place our focus on the wrong thing here. That's a crucial thing because that's one of the places where I think we culturally can kind of get locked in on and get deceived is that we misplace our focus. And one of the places that we misplace our focus is on celebrity. We have an entire, just to be clear, we have an entire industry of people whose sole responsibility is to take pictures and then get them published in various places, from the National Enquirer to the New York Times. The paparazzi industry is all about the culture of celebrity. That's messed up to me. I don't know if that hits anybody else weird, but that's the... In, in this thing, what, what we're seeing in, in, in these days, we, we have invested a kind of level of authority, a level of expertise, a level of, 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 of character or leadership or whatever. We've invested it in people who don't necessarily deserve the kind of credit that we give them. Anybody up to speed on this? I got three words for you. Kardashian. And we'll leave it at that, all right? We give credit where credit is not due. Some of you are like, what's the three, other two words? Come on. We give credit where credit is not due, and that's what Peter and John don't want to have happen. That's why he says, again, one more time, verse 12, when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, you, why, uh, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made this guy walk? This is not us, is what he's saying. Like, it is easy for us to think about the tool that God uses as the actual power. All the cool things that happen in my house, and we've got a lot of awesome things that happen in my house. i got four kids, and they're funny and awesome, and my wife is incredible, all these kind of stuff. Imagine if the only thing that I talked about at my house was a screwdriver. You'd be like, what? Why are you even using this as an illustration? Because it's just that dumb, right? Like, it's a simple tool. In the same way, Peter and John are just simple tools. Billy Graham went to be with Jesus this week. He would be the first in line to say, I'm just a simple tool in the hands of an amazing God. Peter and John were the same way. Don't locate focus on celebrity. Just because God uses them in a spectacular and miraculous way. And listen, church, may we be the kind of people who experience and we have experienced. May we be the kind of people who experience today and continue to experience the miraculous works of God in our time and in our area. May we be those kind of people that whose lives are so consequential um, that, that people come running to us and say, hey, what's the deal with this? May we be those kind of people. And then, then... May we not let ourselves become celebrities in that sense. Some of you have, uh, mostly for good, I I think. Uh, Some of you have some notoriety in your field. 
People want to know who you are. People, some of you are in leadership positions in your company or you're uh, in management over at JSC or you're working on some really awesome stuff that you can't talk about or whatever it is, right? I mean, you've got some, some things that are happening in your life. Peter and John saw that too. And here's the thing. I, if I'm Peter, I might be annoyed at this. All you people get out of my way. I'm trying to get home or whatever, right? He didn't take it as annoyance. He took it as opportunity. May it be true for you too. For everybody who has even an ounce of notoriety in any setting, may it not be an annoyance. May it be an opportunity to say what Peter said. Here's what he said. Look down. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, we'll pick this back up in just a second, but the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate um, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And then verse 16, I want to pause again after this verse. Uh, to and his name, in other words, by faith in his name, is what he says, um, has made this man strong whom uh, you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of all. And so I, just, I want to talk about one more misplaced uh, focus, a place where we can misplace our focus. Uh, and, and that is in, in just thinking about the benefits. Just thinking about the benefits. If celebrity is giving credit to where credit is not due, uh, benefits are something like this. I, I'm going to receive what you want to do for me, God, thank you so much, without any sort of relationship. I will take the gift, but not the giver. Um, when Peter emphasizes in verse 16, and his name, by faith, in his name, and he goes on, the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health. What he's saying is, when we talk about somebody's name, what he's saying is, you can't have just part of Jesus. You can't just slice him up and take this part and that part. He's not the, the, the golden corral buffet where you can take some and leave some. You either like take him all or you don't get him at all. That's the thing. You cannot just have a part. There is a, a, a benefit that comes from knowing him and following him. Yes, yes, and yes. And again, we've seen miracles. We, have, we are seeing miracles. May we continue to see miracles Yes, however, it's not just about benefits. It's not just about the spectacular. It is about receiving him, not just what he does for us. That is a misplaced focus. It, it, it's embracing all of who he is, not just employing his name when it's beneficial to us, when it's convenient for us, or when it's socially acceptable for us. That's, that's, that's where we don't want to put our focus. What, where do we, though? Where do we want to put our focus? Uh, and I think Peter would say here, and I think this is what he's doing, is he, what he's pointing us to is that God is telling a much, much bigger story. He is consistently, even God, telling a much bigger story. As this thing unfolds, we're going to see this. Uh, and Peter's kind of locating this man's healing in a, in a much broader story. Let me tell you a little bit about how that unfolded for me this week. And this is really kind of the genesis of the sermon. Uh, it was Tuesday or Wednesday, one of the mornings that there wasn't actually clouds everywhere. You remember that morning? Like there was like, it was a, it, when, the, when, you know, the big bright ball in the sky actually came up, there wasn't anything blocking it. And you walked outside and just stood there like this. It was one of those mornings up early before the sunrise, moon is out, full moon, gorgeous, hanging up there in the sky. I mean, like a painting, 
absolutely stunning. I'm out walking. I go most mornings, get out and walk, pray for myself and pray for my family, pray for all of you sinners out here. I pray for all of you, okay? There's a lot of praying that goes on. Out walking, looking at the moon, going, that is stunning. I mean, it really, at one point, it stopped me in my tracks. It was that beautiful. And I just like, God, that is awesome. And I'm, you know, talking to the Lord about this, like, you put that out there, and that's amazing. And look at how beautiful it is. And I mean, there were shadows in the night. Like, that's awesome to me. Like, that there were, the moon is so bright, just shadows. And I want to be like that, reflecting who you are, because I'm a pastor and I baptize everything, right? So I want to, I want to do all of this. This is how I wanted to, God, I want to do this. And then I go completely, after that little moment, I go complete NASA nerd space geek on it. And I'm like, and even cooler, God, like, you let us put people up there. Like, there are people who have walked on that moon up there. And they did it with slide rules and cigarettes and cups of coffee. Like, that's awesome. I just can't believe that. I got my phone in my pocket and like, there's more computing power in that than put the people, I'm like just geeking out completely as I'm talking about this. I'm glad nobody actually drove by when all this was going on because there was, it was full gesture. I mean, it was, all, it was a, I was engaged, okay? And I get through all the NASA nerd geek stuff that's going on. And I'm walking, I'm still just picturing this moon. I'm telling you, a little voice welled up inside. I'm like, oh yeah, here it comes. I feel it coming, you know. Hey, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, God, that is awesome. I mean, like, amazing. You know what's better than that? Better than a man walking on that is the fact that I walked here. And I'm like, you're right. That is better. I mean, that's amazing. That's as incredible as that is. That is awesome. Indeed, that's true. And what, what, what that became <laughs> for me, it really was this moment of, hey, the, I mean, the moon is incredible. And then the fact that we got to go there, bigger picture. Oh, but God is telling a much bigger picture than that. Not only did he create that, but he himself became a part of creation when Jesus came to the earth. Uh, It's a bigger picture. It's a bigger story that he is telling. What story is he telling? Uh, Back in verse 13, and then we're going to skip down to the end of the the, uh, chapter here, but start in verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. Then skip down, if you will, to verse 22. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. He's quoting Deuteronomy here. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Verse 24. And all the prophets who've spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets. He's speaking to these Jewish people. You're the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. I'm saying all of that. That's a big mouthful to say this. Peter's looking at this Jewish group of people and he's saying, hey, you remember the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob? You remember those? And you stack on Moses and Samuel and David and all the others too. Like, you remember that God? Oh yeah, we remember that God. That's why we're here at the temple. That God is doing this. That's what he's saying. 
It is a story of God's faithfulness. What he said before, he is doing now. What he promised was going to happen is indeed unfolding. That's what he's saying. I raised up, Peter says, uh, of God, that God raised up his servant Jesus to fulfill all the promises that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. How are they going to be blessed? By sending Jesus. That's how it happened. It's a story of God's faithfulness. Some of you are at settings and in places where you're going, God, I'm not so sure that this is going to unfold like I think it should unfold. And God is saying to you, hey man, I'm telling a story of faithfulness. And incredibly, you and I get to be invited into that. It's not always easy. It's not always fun. There's not always banners and trumpets and pom-poms. Sometimes it's very dark and very lonely and very difficult, but it is always a story of God's faithfulness. Never once has he failed our, never once has he failed his people. Never once. What God had been saying and doing, he is saying and doing now, and he's doing that through Jesus. Just quickly, uh, this is John five thirty nine. He's you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Jesus is speaking. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness of me. So here's the Old Testament part of my Bible right here. He's saying simply this, all of this stuff, all of this stuff is pointing to Jesus. All of these things that have been written, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Samuel, David, everybody else, pointing to Jesus. What he has been saying and doing, he is saying and doing now, and he's doing that in Jesus. It's a story of God's faithfulness. Secondly, the story that he's telling is a bigger story, and it's a story of substitution. Look at verse 14. But let's pick up in the middle of verse 13. God glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and whom you denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. And to this, we are witnesses. It's a story of substitution. Why? Because these same people were the folks who, some of them, no doubt, um, were a part of the crowd that looked at Pilate and said, hey, give us Barabbas. What do I do with Jesus? Crucify him. They had judged Jesus unworthy, and God said, no, 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 he's he's worthy. They had judged Jesus guilty, and they were the ones who had actually stood guilty before God. It's a story of substitution. In case you don't catch this, back in the, uh, uh, right when Jesus was uh, getting ready to go to the cross, the crowd did indeed demand, hey, give us Barabbas. You know what our middle names are? Barabbas. Because we're the ones who deserve to die. We're the ones who should have been hanging on the cross. We are the ones who should have been paying for our sins. But in steps Jesus as a substitute for you and for me. We're going to come to communion here in just a few moments. We're going to take the little cracker and we're going to remember that the body of Jesus was broken. I should have been hanging on the cross to pay for my sins. But Jesus took that for me. We're going to drink the cup and remember, I'm the one whose blood should have been spilled. But Jesus did that for me so that I could experience and live in forgiveness. It's a story of substitution. Thirdly, it's a story of pursuit. Look at verse 17 and 18. And now, brothers, 
I know that you acted in, in ignorance, as did also your rulers. That's why Jesus could pray, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So he's saying, hey, ignorance here, I, we get it. Ignorance is a reason that this happened, but it is no excuse for what happened. So he keeps going back to, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this, so that we can embrace our guilt, because once we embrace our guilt, we can give it to God and God can deal with it. We'll see what he does in just a second, but we can give it to God and God will deal with it. it this is a story of pursuit to say God, who is in the heavens, has pursued a people who have acted ignorantly and stupidly and selfishly and self-destructively. God is in pursuit of us. Well, but that was back then. I mean, ignorance, that's, that's not really our thing today, right? That's not, ignorance is not our thing today, right? Nobody's ignorant, right? Tuesday, I have a conversation. Um, it's, we've been praying for lost people in here. We're going to do it again as we wrap up the sermon. It's the guy that I've been praying for. I have a conversation Tuesday. I said, hey, man, what are you doing for Easter. He goes, when's Easter? April 1st. He goes, is that a Thursday? <laughs> no, man, it's Sunday. He goes, is Easter always on Sunday? He's not kidding. Folks, he lives two and a half miles from here. We can be at his house in five minutes. I know that you acted in ignorance. But what God has foretold by the mouth of the prophets, now he is thus fulfilling. This is a story of pursuit. Ignorance is indeed for our day. Some people see Jesus as just a teacher. He had some nice things to say. He was a good ethicist, whatever. Some people see him as a historical figure. Hey, man, that guy, he made a difference. You know, I mean, all right, that, good for him. He goes in the category of all the other historical figures. Uh, some people see him as a religious relic. Let's uh, paint him up uh, in some sort of statue, stick him on a shelf and go, oh, that'd be a good thing to maybe hang on to. Some, uh, some people see him uh, a little more personally, <clears throat> getting him out of kind of the ether and bringing him down to where we live. Some people see him as, the, as some sort of secret ingredient to life. Hey, if I could get a dash of Jesus in here, everything would be better, right? It's not really how it goes, but okay, they see him that way. Some people see him as a thoroughly white Republican with an NRA tattoo. Some people see him... Don't act like it's not true. Some people see him as a political revolutionary. They're on the other side of the aisle and they say, oh, no, 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 Jesus, this is what he's like. Uh, some people see him uh, as some, um, uh, some knucklehead or some, I mean, just some uh, um, irrelevant person who just spouted some things and it's just irrelevant. It doesn't really matter. And some people see him, and this is the, probably the most dangerous, some people see him as a spiritual messiah who has nothing to actually do with the nitty-gritty of everyday life. Yeah, Jesus come and he'll say something nice to me on Sunday, but he has nothing to say to me on Tuesday. If God has proven anything with Jesus coming to earth, it is this. He is very concerned with the nitty-gritty of our lives. He's concerned about kids eating over spring break. He, he's concerned about where your marriage sits today. What your teenager is looking at on their phone today. 
He's concerned about that relationship in the office that you're not so sure how that's... He's concerned with the nitty-gritty of everyday life. It's a story of pursuit. Lastly, uh, it's a story of restoration. Verse 21. Whom heaven, Jesus, he says, whom heaven must receive until the time for doing what? To restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. It's a story of restoration. Just in case anybody's not up to speed on all of this, maybe you've been, I don't know, in a coma, the world is not right. Anybody with me on this? There's some things that are jacked up in this place. And the Bible says that Jesus came to the earth and he died perfectly and he rose victoriously and he ascended gloriously and one day he is going to return and at that point, everything is going to be made right. And you and I get to work toward that until he comes. There's a restoration that you and I get to be a part of. That's the story he's telling. It's what we get to, to, um, uh, to, to participate in. In other words, the first part of chapter three, where this, this guy gets healed, starts jumping around like a bunny rabbit, this guy is a big pointer. It's a big flashing arrow that says, listen, this is what God is doing. Like, you think that the lame walking is awesome, just wait till Jesus comes back. It's all gonna be made right. Every bit of it. What then is our response? I mean, if, if God is indeed telling this bigger story, what's our response? Verse 19, we skipped all of this and we're coming back to it now. Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back. It always starts there, church. It always starts there. It starts there if you're far from God right now. It starts there if, if you're walking with him right now. It always starts with repent. In other words, rethink your thinking. In light of who God is, in light of who he has said, in light of what he has done, rethink your thinking. Turn away from all those false things. Turn away from all those, all those false stories that you're telling yourself, all the false stories that the world is telling you. Turn away from the self-destructive tendencies that you have. Turn away from your selfishness and turn to Jesus. Live for something that's larger than yourself. He's telling this epic story and he has invited you to be in greater than a moon that's hanging in the sky, greater than the fact that there's been somebody who's walked on it is the fact that God has come and walked on the earth. Let's be a part of that story. Turn, turn is what he says, turn. Repent and turn back. And then he says uh, that your sins, and these are the consequences, that your sins may be blotted out. It's a sweet word. You receive forgiveness, but the way he describes it is blotted out. It's a canceling, right? It's an overriding. All you computer people, they're overriding the data, if you will. Um, it is um, uh, the same word is used in Revelation 21 where the Bible says that when Jesus makes everything right, he's going to take the people who are weeping and he's going to wipe away the tears from their eyes. You know this passage? He's going to wipe away the tears. So it is. He's going to take our sins, and he blots them out. He wipes them away. Receive forgiveness. And then he says uh, in verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Receive the refreshing. Yes, forgiveness, but also life and freedom. This is refreshing. It looks different for different folks, but man, what good news that we can receive refreshing. How does it start? It starts with us turning, turning away from our sin, turning towards him. So we're going to come to a time of communion in just a second. It's a physical symbol 
of this that we are talking about, of turning away from our sin and turning to Jesus. One of the reasons we do it at tables like this every other month is so that we have to leave our place and go to somewhere else. In other words, like we have to turn away and go somewhere. Does this look biblical to you? This is what we're talking about. So, so in this way, this is why, why we do. We'll take the cracker and we'll remember, hey, God's, uh, the, the son of God, Jesus, his body was broken so that we don't have to be. We'll drink the cup and we'll remember the blood of Jesus was poured out for you and for me so that we don't have to spill our own blood. We don't have to buy our own forgiveness. Jesus has done it for us. Before we do that, we're going to pray for those in our, in our circle, in our sphere, if you will, that are lost. And so I'm going to invite you one more time to, to think about who that person is. Maybe you've been praying for different people all along the way. Maybe like me, you've been praying for the same person over and over and over again. Church family, now look up here real quick look before we pray. Listen, this is the week. We've sown in four weeks of prayer. This is the week that we start stepping out in ministry to say, hey, what are you doing in Easter? Hey, would you like to come to church? Hey, let me share with you about something that's important to my life. This is the week that we begin stepping out and encouraging these or speaking these things. This is the week where we turn. We've looked upward to God, and now we also look outward to them and say, okay, how then God is going to use me. I mean, he used Peter and John. He's going to use us too. Let's pray together for them. I want to encourage you to do like we've done before. Just take that person, set them before the Lord in your mind. Maybe picture them right at the feet of Jesus. And Lord, we're here and we say, God, would you do the things um, in these people's lives that we long for you to do? We long for the darkness to be uh, made light and we long for the veil to be lifted off of their eyes and we long for hard hearts to become soft, beating hearts. We long for life to be brought out of death. And God, like we've said before, so we say now, would you please use us We're praying, Father, for their salvation, and we're saying, God, we want to be your emissaries, your ambassadors, people who are sent out by you to carry this news to them. So one more time, God, create opportunity. Uh, um, uh, Use us in ministry. Help us to see the doors that you open and then to step through them with the kind of courage and witness that you're worthy of. For all of these people, that we're setting before you. We're asking for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. So we're going to stand and sing in just a moment. There will be deacons at each of the tables. If you, can, if you need prayer about anything, go up to one of these fellows and say, man, I need you to pray for me about this. Um, church family, as, as we're not in a hurry here, so you don't have to hustle to the tables or anything, but um, just when you're ready, come up, take the elements, kind of step to the side, make room. You can even go back to your seat if you would like. Um, just make room so that, they, uh, that other folks can come behind you. And uh, last thing, if you've got somebody around you who looks like they may need help either getting to the elements or maybe need the elements brought back to them, just make sure that they're taken care of. We're family around here, okay? Nobody needs to do this alone. Let's stand and let's sing. And when you're ready, you come to the tables. We'll celebrate communion together.